Hi, my name is Yara and I'm the host of Life After Birth. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I send my respects and reverence to Wajak Noongar elders, past, present and emerging. On this podcast, we share stories and wisdom about the ups and downs of our mothering experiences, much like the First Nations people of Australia have done so through their storytelling for over 60,000 years. Through their oral traditions, the Wajak Noongar people have supported and celebrated one another and have passed down knowledge, values and lessons, providing a testament of the power and significance of sharing our own stories. In honouring them, we recognise the importance of storytelling in understanding our past, navigating our present and shaping our future. My hope is that this podcast carries this spirit forward in our conversations, acknowledging that while our stories may differ, they all hold value and contribute to our shared human experience. Hey Mama, I'm Yara Heary and this is Life After Birth. This is where you can find honest and vulnerable conversations that lift the veil on how mothers really experience life after birth. Join me as I talk to the experts in the parenting space, but not as you've heard them before. These conversations explore the common humanity in all our lived experiences as mothers, so that you're left feeling seen, heard, validated, and bolstered in your ability to weather your mothering storms. Hey mamas, so today I am talking to Dr. Cassidy Freitas, who is a mother of three and a licensed marriage and family therapist based in San Diego. She runs a thriving virtual private practice where she helps parents navigate the challenges of fertility, pregnancy, postpartum and early parenthood. Cassidy is also the host of the incredible Holding Space podcast where she explores the intersection of wellness and parenting and shares expert advice and practical strategies for millennial parents. So Cassidy and I met on Instagram a few years ago, and I've had the wonderful pleasure of learning from her professionally in some of her programs, and now also calling her my friend. In this beautiful conversation with Cassidy, she tells us about some of her childhood experiences and the pressure she felt to be perfect. Cassidy reflects on her high expectations for herself during pregnancy, birth, and mothering, and the shame that she experienced when things didn't go as planned during her labour. Cassidy also touches on some of the ways in which she was let down during her labour by some of the people in her space, and how she later resolved this through EMDR, which is eye movement, desensitisation and reprocessing, and that is a gold standard trauma modality or therapy that is typically delivered by a psychologist or a therapist. There are so many threads throughout this conversation, But one of the biggies for me was how Cassidy overcame, though I will say, I'm sure she would say that she's still on the journey, how she's come to overcome some of her perfectionism and how far she's come on her journey towards self-acceptance and really getting that, that felt sense that she truly is enough just as she is. This was really, I, I can't describe how, how moving it is to hold these conversations with people who I've got to know. And in fact, with some that I don't know that well, but this was a truly beautiful conversation. And as usual, I know that you will enjoy it. And I hope that you feel seen and heard in these words. Cassidy, I am so happy to have you on the show today and having a bit of a chat. It's been such a long time since we've spoken. Thank you for joining us. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. Before you hit record, I the first thing I said was, oh, another chance to connect with and talk to you. Like I would do it any day of the week, you know? So it's a Saturday. It's a Saturday at six. I just abandoned my family and I was like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) This is like such a beautiful time to (laughs) go away. And I'm like, yeah, my parents are out of town. I came over to their house. I made myself a cup of tea. I've got a heating pad on. Like I'm not doing the bedtime routine right now. And I get to chat with you. Like, this is lovely. Please invite me to do this again. (laughs) Definitely. Can do. Absolutely. Beautiful. So I want to start with a question that I ask everyone, and that is, who is Cassidy Freitas? Where have you come from? Mm. That's a big question. So, well, I I grew up in San Diego, right by the border. We lived in a little town uh, right on the border, and I I am the oldest (laughs) of three. My parents, so my mom is a force. She's a force. She's Hispanic woman who, you know, just (laughs) blew through the ceiling. (laughs) She's a judge now. And, but, you know, to get there, it's interesting. Her and I, I'm actually, I don't, I haven't shared this actually on any podcast, not even mine, but I'm, I'm actually working on a book. And in the process of writing this book, it's been one of the most like life-changing, therapeutic, hard, but life-giving experiences of my life to be in this experience of of writing. And it's led me to have some just really deep conversations with my parents and just better understanding their context and understanding, you know, my mom was so tough, but she felt she had to be right? To to get to the position that she is. She had a shape shift. She had to be perfect. And that followed her, right? To where there was no room for mistake. And so, you know, I think my my question, her was like, hey, mom, love you. You never said sorry. <laughs> like, you know, now, now as a parent, like I say it multiple times a day and just trying mm. to make sense of of that and like the struggle I felt then, you know, around perfectionism and, and kind of trying to find the roots to that. And it's just led to some really meaningful conversations between the two of us. My, my dad, he is feminist in my corner from the start. When I was born, he had a sign made that said, welcome home, future first woman president, <laughs> Cassidy, I love Cassidy Riley. <laughs> Riley's my maiden name. And yeah. And you know, it just believe from day one, I could hold the highest office in, in the U S and then, but you know, a little, little bit of pressure there, yeah, <laughs> <too>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I've also, you know, gotten to, you know, peel back the layers of both for myself and for him and why he pushed so hard when it came to education and, you know, their, their message to me was always work hard and do your best. But I think the way that I, you know, really translated that message by observing how hard they worked, they were both public defenders before my mom became a judge. And the message I really think that I, the way that I filled in the blanks was, yes, they were saying work hard and do your best because those were the messages that really fueled them. My dad coming from a very low income home 
and finding that education and working hard was how you pull yourself out of that. And for my mom, being a Hispanic woman, it was like, you know, work hard, be perfect, shape shift to have a seat at the table. Right. So, but the way that I took it was never stop working and be the best, you know? And so that, that translated into me being a very good student, a straight, a straight A student, but also, but also made it really hard for me to not feel like I wasn't enough because perfection is quite impractical. <laughs> it's not achievable. And so whether it had to do with you know, my role, I was a, I was a synchronized, I was on a synchronized skating team. So I was an ice skater on a team and we did synchronized performances. And it was such an incredible sport to be a part of, but I, I always, I wasn't really good at it. <laughs> like I, enjoy, I, I, I enjoyed it at first, but then perfection jumped in the driver's seat and kind of robbed me of that. I just, I was never, I was never the best. I was always kind of on the verge of like being the ultimate <laughs> and that like ate me alive, to be honest. Like I just, felt because I think at school with school I was able to get straight A's and like I was able to work hard enough to like meet that very high expectation of myself but in like sports and ice skating I wasn't and it just was like I just I kept pushing and white knuckling through to be like no I need I need to be better I need I pushed myself to the point where it actually no longer became something that I loved and eventually quit because it was just too much. And and all of that and in and in between all those things that I was, you know, beginning to kind of struggle with, there was also a ton of joy. Like anyone that knows my father knows his laugh, knows that he's never gonna shy from kissing you straight on the lips because he's just that kind of Irish man. Yeah. And he's going to like with my, with my kids now and with me when I was a kid, he's going to get on the ground and he's not going to be ashamed to show and express his love. And, and my mother is a force. She's a force with her love. She's a force with her work in as a judge, she was in dependency court. And so, you know, defended, kids who were had had no voice and that's kind of and now she's in that same court as you know as a judge and just has worked her butt off to have this power to give voice to those who don't have a voice and i just like i'm constantly amazed and and i think as adult as an adult seeing they're not perfect either you yeah. know and so I was the oldest. So, you know, I was the only girl. So, you know, there's, I think there's, there's stuff that comes with being the oldest and being the only girl and going through all of it first. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I always thought there was kind of the expectation of becoming a lawyer too. Both my parents were lawyers. And if I wasn't going to be a lawyer, I should be like a doctor or something or, and ideally doing some sort of job where there was really good benefits and like a retirement plan and like that kind of structure because for both of them that provided, you know, security for them from like their own context. And so I got a couple of different internships. I decided I really didn't want to take the same path as my parents. They had a lot of connections and I was like, no, I don't want to use any of your connections. I want to, you know, pave my own path. And so I was pre-med for a while. 
And I was an intern at UCLA Hospital. And it was, I was on the postpartum floor. And I, I remember I was like in the room during a C section of triplets. And I just wanted to pass out. <laughs> and, then, and then after, where I really found myself lit from the inside was when I got to go in the room and talk to the new parents. Mm -hmm. And soon after that, I made a switch to shifting gears from pre-med to psychology. And, and that kind of started my path to, to where I am today. Wow. Uh, what a I story. Could, I could keep going. But... <laughs> what a story. So the thing that I'm wondering about as you were talking, so you're talking about those, you know, the joy that was there when you were growing up, but also some of those pressures there. And I can really relate to some of those things as well. Mm -hmm. And I think also that's probably a generational thing to some degree, but also I think I'm assuming that your mother was a migrant or had come from a migrant family. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. A few generations before. Yeah. 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 And so I know from my own experiences being a migrant, what some of that pressure is around wanting to fit into yeah. the culture that yeah. you've come to and, yeah. and not be seen as less than. And so the idea that you need to work harder in order to kind of have that same seat that other people have at that table. But the other mm. thing I was wondering about as you were speaking is that something that I, you know, have noticed with clients that I work with and my own experience too is like it's a double whammy because you're getting that from your family of origin, but it also really feeds into what we're hearing in our community as well, as well right, in terms of the culture of working and oh. of not stopping and not resting and, you know, <laughs> getting everything up right, you know, that kind of thing as well. A hundred percent, you know, here, here in the U.S., <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I know in other countries as well, but like when I look at our it's what I know. So what I know most intimately is my experience here in the school system. And there's so much pressure to just memorize, regurgitate. It was all about the speed of how, of how quickly you could complete something without help, right? Without relying on others. And, and then there was the con, and there's, you know, conduct grades and like conduct grades were all about like, you know, obedience. And so you had like, you yeah. had a system there. Well, I don't know. Is it still in, in, play so where they actually judge no like, no right, oh right my gosh <laughs> wow no. well I don't know about so my where my kids go to school it's such a different experience and it was very purposeful choosing the school that they that they're at at my oldest is in fifth grade and they don't get grades yet they just get like like she, she came home with a test to do some corrections they don't call them tests they call them assessments and there's no grade and I could do the math and I immediately started to panic because I was like oh she like this was like in my day, this was like she failed this, you know, and but the questions she was asked to respond to were about her experience, about mm. the process, not wow. just the outcome and just all the opportunities in the world to learn from her mistakes. And I emailed her teacher after actually, and I just thanked her. Like, I was like, I, I didn't say this, but for me, it's like little me inside is just like, wow, what a. <laughs> What a different experience this <laughs> yeah. was. But yeah, it was pressures. It was, you know, it, there's a generational piece for sure. Generational trauma has a way of showing up, even if you're not the one living in that trauma, right? And and it was a system around us and then in so many ways still exists, right? But yeah, I when you when you speak to the, you know, the immigration piece and the pain that the generations before me had experienced. You know, I think to my my grandmother who 
we, we spent a lot of time with her because my parents worked so much and she lived down the street, her and my grandfather. And we, we spent so much time with them. Like they picked us up from school. My parents would get us like by the time it was dark and my grandmother, you know, my grandfather, they speak Spanish, but they, my grandmother experienced had a lot of negative experiences having an accent, you know, and being in English speaking schools and, you know, not having English be her first language. And she was teased for her accent and she didn't want us to have that same experience. And so she didn't teach us Spanish as we were growing up. And now she wholeheartedly regrets that. Yeah. And now, you know, the other day I sent her a video of my son saying the Spanish alphabet and he's like, he wants it. He, he wants to get a, a tutor to help him learn Spanish further. And oh, that's beautiful. It just like see like uh, her response was just like, it was like this, like this, like little, this like wound that I don't think I'm always fully aware of. Right. Just not living with that wound myself. It was like, I could see it in that moment of how healing it was to hear her grandson, you know, having that desire. And, and I, and I, I, I told him, I was like, I'll, I'll do, I want to do this with you. Like, let's go get it. Let's go find a tutor together. Yeah. We'll, we'll learn Spanish together. But I've got you yeah. like, like my hairs are all standing up as you were telling that story. I was just like, Oh, wow. That's beautiful. So, so beautiful. So you were telling us about that you started in, in med and then you moved to psychology and that you had a really lovely, you had some beautiful experiences there being present and supporting, you know, these women after they'd had their babies. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about who Cassidy was in the lead up to becoming a mother for the first time. So, you know, yeah. what, what were you kind of doing in the world? Hey mamas, it's Yara here from Life After Birth Psychology. I want to talk to you about something that many mothers carry a lot of shame about, and that's anger. Have you ever found yourself thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Or why can't I just stay calm? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. So many mothers quietly worry about their anger. But did you know that your anger carries messages that can unlock a more regulated and fulfilling experience for you as a mother? To support you in changing your relationship with anger, I have created a self-paced online workshop designed to help you understand your anger and learn to process and express it in more adaptive and healthy ways. Within the workshop, you'll explore the role of your nervous system, the hidden messages in your emotions, and even how your past influences how you respond to challenge and stress today. But the best part, you'll gain practical tools that'll help you gracefully steer through those intense moments, all while deepening the heartfelt connections you cherish with your children and loved ones. Ready to get started? All you have to do is head to lifeafterbirthpsychology.podia.com, scroll down and click on my Why Am I So Angry workshop. You can also check out the link in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I was still very much, and I still live with the armor of perfection. That part of me still comes along for the ride, but that armor was very much still in place and, and driving and guiding and, you know, doing what it could to try to protect me and keep me, keep me safe as perfection does. And so I, you know, I, I, I did all the things when I was in college. I graduated summa cum laude, top of, top of the class. And I did, I was involved in a ton of research and I did decide to take a year off in between college and graduate school because I wanted some 
some more, and it wasn't to travel. I mean, I did take a trip, but it was like, it was to like get like some more job experience. (laughs) And so, and I will say at the time, you know, my husband and I, we've been together since we were in high school. So Mm, high high school school sweethearts. You know, we, we dated all through college. We had breakup here and there and, you know, and and I looked, I was like, is anyone else around here, like, of any interest? And there's no, like, he he was it. So after graduate college, we I moved back to San Diego. I was I went to school up in L.A. And we moved in together. And then that year, I got a job as a job coach and independent living resource counselor for adults with disabilities. Mm. And at the time I was really thinking, I will go the psychology route here in the U.S. You know, there's psychology, there's clinical counseling, social work, there's marriage and family therapists. And I was like, I'm going to go the psychology route was kind of what I had thought. But at that job, working with these adults on their job sites, in their homes, it really became clear to me the importance of, you know, we had all these, had all these goals with them, but without bringing in the context of the systems around them, including the family system, but then other systems as well. I was like, oh, this, this is like a really, this is an uphill battle if we don't actually zoom out. And I didn't feel like I had the skills though to really build that bridge between them and the systems around them. And so that really led me to look at some systems work. Marriage and family therapy was, you know, on my radar, but became even more clear as a direction for me. I applied to some programs. I got into the University of San Diego. And, you know, at that point, I was like really ready to, you know, settle down here. So I was, I was glad (laughs) to have gotten into that program. And while there, while there, USD had a a pretty strong medical family therapy route aspects focus in terms of the research that they were doing and their sites. I got placed at UCSD Family Medicine and I was working alongside doctors and nurses and, you know, loved that work. Worked with some moms at the time, some parents and, you know, just, I mean, I was, I still, I definitely had imposter syndrome in all my work, but like I Thought that I was, I thought that I was helping them a little bit. You know? I'm sure you were. I'm sure you were. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But then, <laughs> then you know, my my husband and I got married while I was in the program, and I got pregnant towards the end of the program, and walked across the stage with my masters, with my oldest in my belly, and then had her a few months after I graduated, <laughs> and leading up to having her, like during the pregnancy, my that part of me, the anxious part of me that really tries to protect me through rigid control and very high expectations to meet in order to, at the end of the day, keep me safe, really ramped up. And so what that looked like during pregnancy, well, I guess I should back up there. It it did take my husband and I around six months to get pregnant. And those six months of like, I mean, oh my gosh, it just, it sucked all the joy out of (laughs) trying to conceive. It was, it was, I was like, I've always, I haven't, I had that, that's false. Of course, I hadn't always been able to control everything around me, but you feel this was just something. Mm. Yeah, I felt like I did. Mm. And I couldn't control this thing that I wanted so desperately. 
And so finally, you know, got pregnant after talking to a doctor and taking some steps to support with fertility and got pregnant. And then, and then I just was like, okay, the way that we're going to do this is I'm going to have the perfect registry list. Nursery <laughs> is going to be I'm gonna have everything designed to the time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and I am going to, you know, a- attend all the, you know, the birth class and this baby CPR class and the breastfeeding class because breastfeeding was what was going to happen because breast was best and, you know, work hard and do your best. So that makes sense. That's what I'm going to do. And then I went into labor and I was just so ramped up and I was like in threat mode from the very beginning. And we, the doula, you know, came over. I, I still, I still remember the drive to the hospital being one of the most miserable experiences of my life because I was in so much pain. And getting to the hospital, I labored. I, I was getting so exhausted that I eventually, very begrudgingly and shamefully, asked for an epidural. Is that when the epidural hit, it was like <laughs> I could finally breathe and release some of the grip that I had on the fear. And yet, though, I still had this, you know, very rigid expectation of myself in that birth. I was kind of swallowed up by shame in my decision to get an epidural, which I look back now and I'm just like, I want to like, I want to like jump into the room Mm. and I want to like cradle myself yeah. In my hands, <laughs> like cradle my face in my hands and just be like, you, like, this is what I would say. You are enough. Like, there's nothing here that you have to prove. Nothing here you have to prove. What you're, what you need right now is like presence with yourself and your body and this, the miracle of what's happening right now. Look yeah. at your husband's eyes. Mm. He doesn't, he doesn't need this. He doesn't need these rules you have for, about this birth. Like he just wants you to be here now and to experience this fully. I would probably grab the duel and I'd be like, Hey, like you're a great fit for someone, but like, I actually yeah. don't need your energy in this room <laughs> right now because what, yeah. And I would like, I'd like walk her back out and like, be like I'd, I'd, I'd pay her and I'd be like, it's good. You can go, you can go. Like, I've got this, you know, because what ended up happening was I labored for so long. I pushed for three hours. I was so physically exhausted. I couldn't push anymore. And, you know, the doctor said, you know, we have a couple options here. Heart, baby's heart rate was starting to, you know, be a little, you know, become a, a little bit of an issue. And I kept saying no C-section, no C-section. And then eventually I had no, nothing in me anymore. And I was just like, like in just a puddle of shame and like desperation. I was like, just take her out. And at that point, the doula left. And I'll never forget like the look. I, I have a much, I have a much different, more different relationship now with this look that she had on her face as she left. But that look like, seared into my heart as like oh, the evidence that I yeah. was that I failed right like I that I failed myself I failed my baby I failed my husband I failed her and like her perfect c-section score or whatever and you know and I've, I've I did 
actually did EMDR after to heal that. And so I can look at her face now and I can think that wasn't, that wasn't about me. Yeah. Like about her. Yeah. yeah, Oh, Cassidy, what an awful thing for someone to do. Like, Mm. oh my goodness. You know, it's. Yeah, it it was. mm, It was awful. It's, it's actually, you know, there are unfortunately many stories that I've heard where you hear about the actions that people chose who are support people for women when they're birthing, when they're so vulnerable. And it is just, it's beyond, it's beyond belief sometimes what you hear that people do, you know, it's just like, wow. Like, you know, especially for someone like a doula, you know, really, really hard. Mm. And I love doulas. Like doulas are amazing. (laughs) And I, you know, and I picked her because she aligned with my rigid views, you know, and, and for whatever reason, she holds those views, you know, and, and I don't know. I just know once I've peeled back the armor, I can see why I, why I wanted that held those views, you know, for myself. And, and so my daughter was, was born. I couldn't open my eyes when they took her out because I was so wiped out and I another part that just is like seared in my heart and brain is my husband being like open your eyes she's here why can't you open your eyes look at her and just his voice like the fear in his voice but also the like the confusion and the like and then like that paired with like I just turned my head like away from him and away from her is just like oh yeah (laughs) yeah and that's just such I mean that just the image that that creates is just, it sounds like a person who was just so deflated in that moment, you know, like it was nothing about this baby. It wasn't about that connection or anything. It was just about the the, the pain that you were in, the emotional and otherwise pain that you were in in that moment, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And and thank you for naming that, you know, because as, as now that child, you know, she's 11 now. And like, I, I think about just the deep, important, life-giving, earth-shattering relationship and love Mm. that exists between the two of us. It's like in that moment, it felt like I failed you and this defines me. It was like, like I am broken. My body is broken. Like, you know, there's something wrong with me. I should have done something. All of those. But it did not define any of that, right? It was, it was, it was just, it was a big part of my journey. Mm. And the, sh- and honestly, the like what motherhood ended up, the experience I ended up having, because following that, I eventually did get her on my chest and get her latched. And, and there's, there's video to document that moment. And my mom coming in with a camera, just being like, like, oh my gosh, Cassidy, she's huge. <laughs> she was, she was, and her poor head was like, you could see where it had gotten like stuck. And, you know, she was big baby. And my mom just being like, and we have video of it. My mom, and I look just like, I look like death warmed over, but my mom's just like, this was the right way. She might, she's kept saying, this was the right way. This was the right way. And yeah. I, that kind of became like a lullaby for me in that moment. Mm. So just like, kind of get back into you can see you can start to see like as I'm looking at her and connecting with her in that video and I and I and I remember it too and then and then postpartum it right like the crash of hormones the sleep deprivation the like 
I was the first of my friends to have a baby. So just like no clue what mm. to expect, right? Because I just had this one idea of what I what it was going to look like for me, which was <laughs> very unrealistic. And and then, you know, because of just the like, I feel like, you know, with so much of yourself being stripped away, like the parts of identity, the like the restorative rest and like the space and like the freedom and flexibility. Like I feel like so much of the armor was stripped off of me that just the anxiety that lived underneath that for so long just reared its head. It gripped the driver's seat of my life and was just like, oh shit, this yeah. isn't, this is scary. Like yeah. every intrusive thought, all the dif- all the different ways in which like bad things were going to happen just flooded me. And so then postpartum anxiety took its took its took its roots in my body. At the time we had no idea that non-birthing partners could experience depression. My journey in changing that comes a little bit later, but what we were living with was my my husband experiencing postpartum depression and me living with postpartum anxiety and it was it drove us apart. It drove us to the brink of Many, many things that were very, very difficult. Um, one memory that always just feels representative is my husband was sleeping because he that was what he did a lot of. And I was up wired in the middle of the night with the baby because that's what I did. And she had just had like a blowout, like, you know, projectile, newborn poop, you mm-hmm. know, that mustardy, seedy sh- yeah she it like and she must have like farted because it was projectile like all over the like you know designer whatever curtains roughly whatever (laughs) like that i had done in the nursery because that's actually like that's how i was preparing myself right yeah and i remember him walking in and he was like what did you do to her and i lost it of course and that was like Mm -hmm. that was when like the you know, anxiety turns on, turns up the dial, that stress response, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, flock. There's different, different ways to respond to stress. And I think that's, that was like when I shifted from, you know, I think more like flight and freeze and fawn mm. to fight. And that's when it really started to look more like rage for me, which was so, I felt so ashamed of. It was just the opposite of what I had anticipated I would be like as a mother mm. and a wife and partner. And mm. and so um, many, so many women, I think when they experience rage or even anger, even before it sort of becomes in that space of rage, like it doesn't fit with our idea of what, you know, mm. a good mother is, right? Even, yeah. even irrespective of kind of the ideals that we personally hold about how we individually will be mothers. It just doesn't fit in that. And so it is something that is so, you feel so shameful about, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, mm. totally. And I think I was so, behind closed doors, I was so ashamed of what was happening that I really, I like dead bolted those doors. Like no one was mm. going to get in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, 
put on the mask of having it all together by the way that I presented myself to the world. And, you know, there wasn't, I don't really think there was Instagram or anything at the time. So it was just, you know, I would go out and mm. when I could get walk down the stairs, because I had a, we were on the second floor and there were lots of intrusive thoughts about those freaking stairs. Mm. But I'd, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd, for, I'd mm. sometimes get myself down the stairs and I'd get out. And I just, I didn't let anyone in. I, there's, I have another memory of that my daughter had been crying for what felt like a lifetime, but probably had just been a couple hours, but that was enough when mm. you're that sleep deprived. Totally. And she just kept like latching and then unlatching and like just would not settle down. And I called, I remember I called the pediatrician and they were like, she was around like three weeks and they're like, oh, well, sounds like it might be colic. And like, that was kind of it. And they're like, it was like, so I just deal with this now. And then I called my mother-in-law out of like desperation and she came over and the minute she took my daughter in her arms, my daughter stopped crying, of course, and fell asleep. And my mother-in-law looked at me like very like kindly and was just like, why don't you go try to get some rest? And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And I walked into my room and I just remember like closing the door and I just broke down into quiet sobs, like Mm. having the thoughts of like, I just want to escape to like a hotel room and then like and like sleep for hours and not have anyone need me or mm. look at me and then just thinking like what kind of mother has those sort of thoughts. Mm. You know, maybe I should tell someone that this that I feel like this, but then it's like then they'll see how broken you are and then Yeah. Oh, it's ugh. such a lonely place to be, isn't it? To be in that in that place where you're like I can't tell anyone because I'm so afraid of what people will think of me and I have so much shame that I'm holding about this anyway. And it's just such an isolating experience, isn't it? So yeah, isolating. That's the slithery, slimy mm. whispers of shame. Is yeah. like there's something deeply wrong with you and you don't want anyone to see this. And so you better not let anyone in, you know? And so just on the other side of that door, another closed door that I dead bolted, right? Where like on the other side of that door was my mother-in-law whom is like a mother to me and would have 100% like not made me feel like crap about it. I'm very fortunate because I know not everybody has that sort of relationship with family members, but I know she would have, as would my my own mother. And and gosh, my dad, my father, he would have, he would have come in like, I, <laughs> my dad will... He'll fall on the sword. He'll fight. He'll he'll do whatever it takes, you know. But I didn't. I didn't. And my husband was struggling, you know. So mm. we were both fighting our own battles. And um, do do you think that some of the shame that you had there, like, so my own experience being a psychologist is when I'm struggling in motherhood, especially in the beginning, that felt like so shameful because I should know better in some way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh like it was gosh. like it was like totally. okay, I'm I'm a psychologist, what are people going to think of me? Like and then it would bring up this imposter stuff around me in my actual work as well, in my clinical work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, who am I to be doing this or offering this advice or whatever when I'm struggling with these things? And you know, the place that I've come to now is very much that makes me so good at what I do actually because Mm. You know, I've experienced it, even if I'm in a season where things feel rougher for me, because, you know, I have these seasons still, I can, I can still, I can speak to that part of me that, that wants to have the imposter thing and be like, who are you to do this? And it's like, no, it's because 
I'm going through this and I can be there and hold space and listen, mm. you know? So I'm just wondering about if that felt relevant for you as well at that time. Well, I mean, I think at the time I was absolutely in a place of like doubled shame because I'm a therapist mm. and I shouldn't, yeah, know better. Mm. <laughs> like, as as if as if being a therapist like removes my me being a human right mm. <laughs> which is just of course not the case and so yeah it it really took me far too long to get support and i think it it really was you know eventually slowly opening up to people and like letting people gaze beyond the mask a little bit here and there starting to hear other stories and recognizing that i actually wasn't alone in some of these behind closed door messy moments, you know, very, very messy. And yeah. And so, you know, it, it eventually, once I got support and those wounds, you know, turned to scars, I made it like became the muse. It became the muse for everything that I do today. And I think there's so many different ways that we can make meaning from our experiences. I don't think our pain has to be a muse for anything. You can make meaning without turning that pain into some larger work or to write a book. You don't need you don't need to do that. You can make meaning in so many beautiful ways. And for me, the way that I made meaning was, you know, at that point, I did I had decided to pursue my PhD, and I spent that whole full time researching postpartum support for both parents. So my dissertation actually ended up being on paternal postpartum depression. My husband sat there in the audience while I defended my dissertation. That work got published in the Journal of Affective Disorders and my research was all was really about it was a Delphi study. So what that meant was I brought together experts from around the world and engage them in conversation. And these are experts on paternal postpartum depression. Yeah. And there weren't very many, but there yes. were a few around the world. And, you know, my the, the goal with the, with the Delphi study is to come up with some sort of consensus so that mm. we have some common language so yeah. that we can begin to talk more about this thing that nobody was talking about. And so, and, you know, I think that, I think for the research, like it was very meaningful because of my experience and my husband's experience. But if I'm also being a little more honest with myself, I think it also felt a little safer to look at what he had struggled with and that had how how it had impacted all of us. But I think what ended up happening, you know, while I was in school and like already in the midst of that research was I got pregnant again and had a pregnancy loss. And that experience really like tore off some of the scabs mm, of, of the wounds around control and around my body. Like, is my body broken? Is my body broken? Like all oh, so much stuff there. And, and then that, at that point, you know, is when I ended up pursuing EMDR, which became such a deeper level of processing the trauma and looking beyond just the birth postpartum pregnancy loss experiences, but to some of these parts of me that had been working really hard to keep me safe for so long with armor of perfection. And um, yeah, so that work was life-changing for sure. 
And, and then around that time I got, so then I graduated, I got licensed and, you know, then I kind of had these two paths in front of me, the path that had sort of been expected at this point, which was become a professor, get a tenure track position at a university where there's benefits and security and, you know, all of that stuff. And then there was this little inspired entrepreneur inside of me that was like, I think, <laughs> I think that if you go that route, not saying that's that, that that'd be a beautiful route for some people, right? But for you, Cassidy, I think that route would like you would it would suck you in, it would chew you up, and you would just you, your soul would die in the environment. Like, like yeah. I just I needed I needed I needed space. Yeah. I needed space to create. Mm. And flexibility and freedom to do that. And that was terrifying for me because that was not, that wasn't this, that wasn't safe from all the messages I had received. So different, really, from where you've been, which is really about like, how do I excel within the bounds of, yes. you know, of what's around me? Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. I knew how to do that. And, I don't know. It was terrifying. So what I ended up doing was I got an adjunct teaching position. There was no benefits, you know, much to the, you know, anxiety, <laughs> the dismay for my my parents, you mm-hmm. know. But I was like, I, I, I got that because I was at least like, at least there's like some little stable paycheck here, even though adjunct do not get paid enough. <laughs> like, but it was something. And and then I went went on the pursuit of you know, entrepreneurship and started my private practice, found, I, I kind of skipped this part, but while I was getting my PhD, I, Instagram was a thing by this point. Mm. I was actually on Instagram blogging for creative purposes only. I never shared on there that I was a therapist. I didn't even use my real last name. And I was blogging and engaging on these really fun creative projects. Like one of the most like fun ones I was a part of was I was Pottery Barn hired me to direct a photo shoot utilizing their kids' costumes and then having parents like come up with a costume that went with the kids' costumes from Pottery Barn kids. And then I wrote up a blog post for them about how parents could you know connect with their kids through Halloween and address like things that were scary and but I didn't but like I didn't say I was a therapist I was just like a blogger you know but then when I got my license and graduated I shut down that account because I was like well that part of me needs to shut down too because now you know going to be a licensed provider and therapist starting a business like I don't I can't have that part of me coexisting yeah yeah. Then I started to like explore ways to market this practice that I had started. And I was like, dang it, I know a thing or two about building connections in the digital space. And like, like, could I really embrace that creative part of me and show up as a therapist in this like larger wellness arena? Because at the time there were no like there were no therapists on Instagram. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now it's like you know, now I'm like trying to help people set boundaries and get off if they want to get off of social media, you know, but at the time, at the time it was like just in our field, so Mm. many messages about like being private. Oh, totally. Yeah. The work you do stays behind closed doors. Like Mm. 
a lot of messaging around like marketing and all that that just was like, you just don't do it, right? Which is ridiculous when you think about it. But those were the messages. And I was like, oh, okay. So like very cautiously and with a ton of anxiety and perfectionism for Mm. sure. Like when I look, when I think back to some of those first few things that I would post on social media, like how often, how many times I reread it and tried to perfect it and like, you know, but I did it. I went on and started posting as me, fully me, allowing the creative parts of me to, you know, blend in a little bit here and there. And and yeah, that that's my uh, my account now on social media. Oh, and it's account. just and it's just oh. so beautiful. And I remember, I think you were one of the first accounts that I was following in terms of a professional who was doing this yeah. work and who was showing up. And I remember just this sigh of relief that there was a way to show up and be really authentic, but be professional and be supporting mothers. And it's just so beautiful because. This is a space where mothers are. This is this is you know exactly. where they're consuming, and it's so beautiful to have accounts like yours and and many others that are really countering a lot of the really toxic kind of messaging that we've received mm. for such a long time around motherhood. So it's just yeah, it's amazing. It's so so amazing. I wanted yeah. I wanted to circle back and ask you because you've had a couple of babies now. So you're mm-hmm. you've got three, is that right? I have three. You have yes. three. Yes, I thought so, and one very little one. I wanted to ask. You know, we talked quite a bit about what that was like birthing your first daughter Mm -hmm. Um, and that in between I'm assuming that daughter and your next child that you had some EMDR how did that Mm -hmm. work out for you in terms of the process of both being pregnant but also leading up to the birth and in the birth of these other two oh yeah like how was that either the same or different you know oh so healing. All three of my babies came into this world through my belly. We're all three belly births. Mm-hmm. But those that second, that third, yeah, I changed providers. I really found a provider who was I felt really safe with and comfortable with and aligned with. I instead of a rigid birth plan, I connected with like the values that I wanted to help guide my decisions, right? So let's say is presence and safety, for instance, mm. when options were, because I did attempt for a VBAC with my second, but when options were presented to me, I, instead of like this rigid idea of what I had written down before even being in the situation, right? Mm. Like I turned to my values of like, I want to be present for this birth. I want myself and my child to be safe and how can I use those values to help guide this next decision? And he was born into this world through my belly. And he, it was, I was present. I turned towards him. My eyes were open. We got to do some pseudo skin to skin. I remember with my third, with Junie, the anesthesiologist in the room, when it kept looking over at me and he was like, you're very serene right now. Like as they were like cutting me open, I like had a stupid smile on my face. And I was like, and like my mantra in my mind was like, you know, everything that's happening for me right for right, everything that I'm experiencing right now is for our safety, like the cold in the room, like the things that had been very like stark and traumatizing for me previously, like how cold it was, right? Like all like the sheet in front of my face, you know, although my provider did lower it for me to see him and her being born into the world. But like, it it was like everything that's happening right now is for my safety and I'm here, I am present, I'm going to be meeting my child soon. Like that smell of the burning flesh, like 
that's like, and, and as they were like pulling, I could feel the pulls, right? And the tension. I was like, I was like, here you are, Cassidy. Your body is working. You are laboring right now. You're birthing her right now. And just like, you know, the what a sacrifice my body is making right now to bring this child safely into the world. And, you know, just it was such a different experience. And it's wild how that first the scar was like when that when that scar healed, it was a keloid and it was red and it was raised and it was hot and it was angry and it was painful. And they literally had to cut that scar off for my second. And then when that scar healed, it was like it was such a different scar. It just I think feels so representative of like where my body was at and how mm-hmm. much my body was both either fighting or or healing, you know? And so yeah, they were very different. I love that you talked us through the way that you focused on the values there for how you, I guess, wanted to feel and the experience, you know, how how you wanted that experience to feel because that's absolutely something that I often talk to women about as well in terms of it's fine to have a plan, like it's fine to yeah. have intentions about how you want this to go, like in terms of the actual, okay, I I, I don't want to have an epidural, I do or whatever, but we we need to always have some flexibility because birth can be unpredictable. So having some flexibility have your birth plan, talk it through with your birth provider, talk it through with your supports, and then also come back to, you know, let that birth plan be grounded in what are those values though? What are the, what's that feeling that you want to be held in during that process, Mm. you know? Um, Mm. So I love that. I love that you said that. Mm. I just love the way that you said that. Thank you. I think that that absolutely represents what I was how I shifted gears and where I wanted to align myself with for those, those subsequent births. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think at this point, I think the work, the the business that I've built really represents my hope, my hope for my children, my hope for any ripple effect that anything I put out there has for the moms, the parents, their children that, are in some way in this universe connected to me, whether it's through social media or through the podcasts or any of it is, is that is just, I think the message at the end of the day is like, it really is like, you are enough. You always were. That was never up for debate. This is like, it feels hard because it is hard. Like your feelings are real, like to validate that, you know, I can understand all the perfectionism that pops up and, and, but then I, I also, and and so I have a lot of compassion for that part of myself and for that part in others. When I, when I get to meet that part in therapy or in any connection or conversation that I've made, it's just, it, it's work, been working so long, right? To keep hold on oh there there was a, <laughs> so the car was beeping but it's it's been working so long and so hard to keep me safe and I just want it to I want it to like to know that you know it's it's 2023 now not 1993 I can put down the armor I can show up as a whole human for myself for my partner and for my kids, right? To break some of these generational cycles and, 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 and sacrifices, you know, that my parents made. And I think that at the end of the day, I, I really think about this idea of like legacy. And I don't think legacy has to be this big shiny thing. I think it can be these little moments 
we have maybe mm-hmm. say with our child when we scoop them up and we say or that we tell them how sorry we are. Yeah. Or we tell them totally. how real their feelings are. Mm-hmm. Or we breathe when they're disappointed and their behavior is so annoying, but we're like, oh, it's okay mm-hmm. to be disappointed. And, you yes. know, it doesn't mean that yes. you're too much. It doesn't mean that you have to just push it down. And, and that just like our kids get to be held in that way that we do too. We can hold ourselves in those ways. Mm-hmm. And get support and surround ourselves with that same love. That's what I want. I mean, that just sounds so divine. (laughs) That just sounds so (laughs) divine. And this, you know, a lot of the time as you've been talking about your experience now looking back to, you know, your earlier self in this journey, it just so has reminded me of that same thing that I go through where I like, there are certain memories that just, you know, pop up or maybe that are stronger and are kind of always there. And I look back and I think of that woman who I was back then and I just feel like, oh, I just I just want to hold you. I just want to mm-hmm. tell you that everything's okay and all those beautiful things that you just said, you know, like it's it's. I also feel like being able to do that, to have the, that process and that thought has allowed me, you know, so much compassion for the women that I see now but also just in my in my parenting because there's a softness there now that I don't think was there before I had kids. There's a real mm. softness in me that allows me to, for example, you were talking about when your kids are, you know, when they're melting down or being annoying about things or whatever, there's a softness there now of like, okay, I can sit with this. I can be here with mm. you, right? Whereas I don't know I- if I if I hadn't softened how well I'd be able to do that. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's a softness. And then there's still anger, but like the anger is different. Like I have such a different relationship now with my anger. I think my anger, we're all wired for it. And it's this part of me that pops up and is like when it when I witness something that feels like a violation of like my rights as a human or the rights of somebody else as a human being. And it gives me the energy, the focus. The, to say no, you know, to hold a boundary, to advocate, to, you know, when I see the injustice that I, that I, that we see, whether it has to do with race or gender or socioeconomic status and or abilities, right? Or beliefs. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's a part of me that no longer scares me. And it and and it's still. I mean, obviously, I'm human. So once in a while, it bursts out of me in a way that feels uncontrolled and is actually more of a protector emotion. Like underneath, I'm just feeling like really overwhelmed. Yeah. Right. But like <laughs> the burning down anger. Because, <laughs> yeah, because mm. when I notice it, like I can name it. Mm. I can repair like some of the damage that it's done when it's spewed out of me like fire. But it's it's a part of me that I bring. You know, like. I can be, I don't think that my gentleness, like this idea like gentle parenting, like I never really resonated with it. Mm. I think I think a part of it is because in my mind, I had always, I always saw gentle as being like, you know, kind of like the shape shifting, like that I thought that I, and, and like the the expectations that I thought I had to be because I was a woman, you know, and like passive and I think almost. I actually, mm. Yeah. Mm. But I think I want to reclaim it. I want to mm. reclaim it as like, it's, I think gentle parenting to me is more of like whole human parenting. Yes. Right. I love like embracing that. Mm. my own humanity, my child's humanity. Mm. And I think that there's a, it's, there's actually a lot of strength in it. Mm. Um, it feels very sturdy to me. Yeah. Um, 
I love you that know, you said that as you were saying about how your anger no longer scares you. And I was the the word that was in my mind or the phrase was kind of like the whole of you, like you're living mm. with all of you now. All the parts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that that's always mm. like a work in progress, isn't it? Like we get to a point where we allow ourselves to embody a certain part or to be in, in, mm. in more contact mm. with that. And then we have experiences that show us that there are other things that we are still not allowing, <laughs> you know, not fully integrated or whatever that may be. So I think it's just this kind of, you know, ongoing kind of process. But I think, you know, every little step that we make towards better integrating all of those parts of ourselves, mm. the more peace we have within ourselves. And I think that really translate in, translates into our parenting or our mothering, you know, because when we can fully accept and recognise all the parts within ourselves, we can allow that for our children as well, right, which is I think that mm that thing about allowing the softness and being like, I can allow you to have your vulnerability too and I can be here for that. Oh, yeah. Yes, mm. that's exactly it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, so one of the things that we really talked about today was about, you know, control and perfectionism and anxiety and it sounds like that's been a real theme for you in your journey. I'm sure that there are others that we haven't touched on but that definitely seems like a theme in terms of a big challenge for you that that I guess this phase of life, this, I'm going to say this phase of life, but it's its really like forever really, isn't it? So <laughs> it's like when this phase started, we'll put it that way. So what do you think on the, on the counter of that, what do you think has been your biggest growth that you've taken out of being a mother a, across, mm. the, you know, the various stages and, and additions of children and, and that sort of thing? What do you think is your, your thing, your growth, your biggest one? I think it's been disarming myself with all the armor and I think it's it's embracing my vulnerability which has allowed me to build such deeper connections with those around me my parents my partner my children my friends and and I think that it's it's like this, it's like this release. It's like exhale. <laughs> it's like of the, like this tight grip that was so firmly trying to keep me safe. And it's like, and then it's, it's, it's recognizing me and the system of all the other parts of the systems around me, right? Whether it's my family system or all the women that I'm connected to through all the different channels <laughs> from which I'm connected that like we were we're freaking human, right? And like it's I think that yeah, we're human, we're vulnerable, we we need each other and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes. yeah. Yeah. And I think I just I bring that into all the different elements of my life, or at least I try to. Mm, beautiful. You have been so vulnerable <laughs> with me today and I just so deeply appreciate that because I think that when we share stories, it's so wonderful for us that are doing the sharing, If you know, obviously if that's feeling safe for us, but also it's so wonderful for the people coming, you know, behind us or who are even in, you know, at that same place and maybe haven't gotten to the same places of vulnerability. And I think it's such a beautiful gift that we can give our community to be able to share stories. So I just really want to thank you so much for for all your vulnerability today. You make it mm. so easy. Your clients or anyone who's connected to you is so lucky to know you. Oh, that's beautiful. I feel so lucky to know you. I can only imagine 
what it must be like to be held by you in a therapeutic way and therapeutic space. And so um, you made this, you've held so much space for me and made it so easy. So thank thank you. you. Oh, thank you, darling. I have these rapid fire questions that I love to ask people. And that is really because I think it gives us a bit more of an understanding about what the rest of their life looks like, right? In not just in the mothering space. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love to ask you, what are you listening to at this moment in your life? And that could be music or it could be podcasts or both. Okay. So <laughs> my, my, my escape, the thing that I love and that is such a place of connection for like between me and some of my best of friends um, is a fantasy fiction romance novel. Oh, I remember you. So- <laughs> I remember this now. Yes. <laughs> and so, oh, what I'm listening to right now would fall under that genre. Mm-hmm. And I'm also listening to Taylor Swift. I'm such a Swifty. Yes, I remember you love <laughs> Taylor. I'm starting to get there. Like, it's just not been something that's really, she's not been on my radar, which is really bizarre because of how huge she is. Yeah. My kids are really getting into a couple of her songs. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely been on, on more of of a higher rotation. (laughs) Yeah. Her, her most recent album, like there are some songs in there that just like speak to me Mm. and vibrate through my soul. And so yeah, fantasy fiction, romance and Taylor Swift. I love it. And I love (laughs) that you're reading stuff that's nothing to do with your work, actually. That's oh, please. Yes. I need, I (laughs) take me away. (laughs) I think that's brilliant. That's actually like one of the things for me this year. I'm like, you are allowed to read outside of what you do because I really, mm-hmm. I don't read because I don't read relevant stuff to my work because I feel like I need to know more, know more. I'm just so fascinated by yeah. the content, yeah. but it's also like, Yara, you need to you just, just read something that you can laugh about or, you know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, you know, so that's, that's my thing. So maybe, maybe I'll start joining you in this um, mm, fantasy you, romance. If you need any recommendations, <laughs> you know who to call. <laughs> Beautiful. And what is the last TV show that you binged? Oh, what was it? Oh, it was Wednesday. I is binged this, is this? Wednesday. Okay, yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, so from like the Adams family, and it's it's funny because my oldest was like, "Mom, there's all these kids at school that say I look just like Jenna Ortega, who is like the main actress in the show Wednesday." So I was like, "Okay," and she was like, "Can I watch it?" I'm like, "Well, let me watch it with you." So I wasn't really. It was like on yeah. Netflix. I wasn't really sure. And we like blew through it. We had so much fun watching it together. And she was so cute. She started kind of, she's like, when is she's like, mom, can you put pigtails in my hair? Oh. In my hair? Like when's it? And I was like, she's starting to wear more black. And I'm like, That's okay, so girl, cute. you know, yeah. you're just exploring the different parts of your identity, trying yeah. some things on. I wow. like it. Okay. okay. So was it good? Because I used to love the Adams family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, I mean, it's, there's some fantasy elements to it that yeah. spoke to me. A little bit of romance, yeah. A little bit of dark, twisted, mis- you know, murder mystery. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Beautiful. I will have to check it out. I've got the most ridiculous list now after everyone that I speak to. And what is the most influential book that you've read? Mm. You know, it's probably The Gifts of Imperfection by yes. Brian Brown. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Totally. I think it was the first time that I was like. Oh, this is it. 
Mm, this I have been living with this my entire life. And she's actually going to tell me there's a, there's gifts in my imperfection. <laughs> All right. All right, Brene, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I so feel you. I remember when I read that book, I was driving and I had like a three-hour drive, I think. I don't. I can't remember how long it is to listen to it, but I think I listened to it on both legs of that trip. And I just remember like howling. I was just crying literally oh, yeah. the whole time that I was listening. Yep. And also because when you listen to it, it's her. So it was it's like someone voice. speaking to me like so deeply to me and I was just like, yeah, I was a mess. But it was so wonderful. It felt like this beautiful, yeah. warm, com- compassionate, permission-giving embrace like it was just so beautiful I actually on my because we've just come back from being away as well so another three hour trip up and I listened to she's got I think it's called wholehearted parenting it's like a much smaller Mm. one it's only a couple Mm -hmm. of hours and again it was just Mm -hmm. spoke to me and I was like I need to listen to all your stuff like every single year like I just need that reminder, like to, you know, because you've been, when you've been conditioned so differently for such a long time, you actually, Mm -hmm. you hear it or you read it one time and you do really need to go back. So yeah, I totally agree. It's such a, she's just an incredible, an incredible gift to us all writing what she does. So Mm. thank you. Yep. Life changing. (laughs) Yeah. So Cassie, where can listeners find out more about you? Yeah. So I am on Instagram, like not as often, but I show up there every Friday with our little Friday ritual I where love I share it. funny, funny TikToks. I love it. I love it. I hold a lot of space for the hard stuff <laughs> and we need some joy too. Yeah. And it's just also a way, it felt actually quite vulnerable for me to do it at first because to let my, to let people into my humor, my sense of humor felt like another armor I had to put down because to be honest, there's a lot of fart humor in there. And I'm just like, I don't know if anyone really was going to respect me I after love it. that. I like, I'm camping out for I Fridays just to, <laughs> just to watch your feed. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, and like, there's so much, like, I just find really great, funny videos related to parenting. And it's just like, ugh, just that dose of joy, you know, it really helps me complete the stress cycle at the end of the week, you know? So, and so Instagram at Dr. Cassidy, I got a podcast holding space. And I have a private practice in California, so it's virtual. So anyone that resides in California, and you can find me over there at www.drcassidymft.com. I have a group practice, so we have a group of amazing clinicians Mm. that, you know, we're all very much in alignment, but they have their own magic to each of them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's where folks can find me. Beautiful. And I will put all of that in the show notes so people can have a look there easily to find you. I just really want to express my gratitude again. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and your heart with all of us in this chat. I've really, really adored it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me, Mama. If you enjoyed this episode, I would just love for you to leave me a review and follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me over at Instagram where my handle is at lifeafterbirthpsychology and you can find out more about how I can support you on your mothering journey at my website www.lifeafterbirth.com.au. See you back here soon for our next chat.